may be seated. You may be seated. As we're gonna, if you got your Bibles, we're going to be finishing up uh, the fourth chapter of Thessalonians. Colossians, I'm sorry. Colossians. I don't know why I was thinking Thessalonians. Colossians. Colossae. The church in Colossae. And so this is going to be our final chapter in this book. And um, what we want to do is just try to highlight some things that we ended up with last uh, time. Because in the last chapter, uh, we said verse 1 of chapter 4 really goes with probably the last part of chapter 3. Because it was talking about how members in the church should conduct themselves as far as their relationships are concerned. And then uh, as far as husbands and wives. And then also in relationship as far as uh, if there was a, 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 what the Bible says, a master-slave relationship. So we talked about that last week, and, and we ended up with chapter 4, verse 1, by saying where we ended it, it says, where it says, Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. And the point he was trying to make there is that, and I explained to you that during that time, um, there were a lot of people that were uh, in condition of servitude for various reasons. Some people were in servitude because they owed debt. They couldn't pay. Some people didn't serve it too because they, nations lost wars and they ended up that way. And so no matter what the condition of servitude were, after people became Christians, God expected them to treat each other in a way that he would treat them. And so that's why the command was for to them to be just and to be fair, you know, and, and, and the intent, a lot of times we're going to see here tonight, a lot of people who were, who were subjugated for whatever reason, when people got, uh, became Christians, they freed them. They, they, they gave them their freedom and things of that nature. And so, uh, and, and because we, you know, from our vantage point, when we hear the term slave, master, and all that, because of our uh, Eurocentric education upbringing, we automatically just think people of color. But during this time, everybody that was slave was not just black folks. I mean, there were a lot of people that were enslaved that were Jews that were enslaved to other Jews and, and other nations. So it wasn't a black-white thing, kind of like we were conditioned to here in America. And a lot of times what we're going to find out is in the Bible, God, you know, he, this classification that we see is more a European-American thing than it is a Bible thing. More, most of the time in the Bible, people were distinguished by their region, their country, the nation that they were a part of not necessarily by the color of their skin. But then when we come to America, then we kind of classify people based on the color of their skin or whatever their bloodline is. If you got one-eighth blood or one drop of blood in you, you were considered black. It didn't make no difference who your parents were, but if you just had one little drop, that was the law in America. So, so we kind of did things that way. And I kind of learned this lesson when I even went to, like I said, uh, to Jamaica. You know, down there, there are Jamaicans down there who are just light-skinned or white, just like Europeans, and then there's some black as me. But down there, the first thing they want to know, where are you from? And if you said Jamaica, it don't make no difference what your skin color is because they, you, they consider you Jamaican. The thing that, that separated them down there is more, set, more so class than race. You know, people are separated by a caste system and say, if you know, if your family got so much money, regardless of your skin color, you're going to be in a certain class of people versus, you know, uh, whatever skin color you may have. So, 
that's why I just want to kind of touch up on that because a lot of times when we see this in the Bible, people will sometimes use passages like this to justify slavery. So, and, and, I, and, and, and so I don't want no one to walk out here thinking that, okay, here's much that well, God approved, that God ordained it. Now, man did that. God never intended for other human beings to be treated that way, uh, uh, the, the way that people were treated. So we have to kind of be clear on that. So now, with this, after he come out of that chapter, then he go to his closing argument uh, as he continued to build his case to try to encourage them to do uh, the things that God has called them to do. He kind of encouraged them to, to develop a life of, of prayer, you know, to develop a life of prayer. And so in verse 2, he says, devote yourselves to prayer. Now, when you hear the term devote, what, what comes to your mind? What does devote mean to you? When you, if you're going to devote yourself to something, what does that mean? Stay focused on it? Okay, okay. Uh, huh? A commit to it? Yeah, if you're going to be devoted, you're going to commit yourself to it. And so if you commit to it, that means you're saying that you're going to set aside time and resources to do whatever it is you're devoted to. So in this case, he's saying if you're going to devote yourself to prayer, it ain't going to just happen. Amen? You're going to have to set aside the time and be intentional and do it. And, and once we do that, then it will become a part of us, and then now we won't see devote as being locked in a room in a prayer closet for hours at a time. The intent here is to get us to get in a mindset of prayer, an attitude of prayer, so that no matter what time of the day it is or what uh, uh, time of the night it is, that if something come across your spirit, you understand I can pause right now and pray. I can be driving down the street and see something and the Lord may say, pray about that. Looking at a news article or a news event on television and the Lord say, prayer. That's when you know you have started to devote some time and have a consciousness of prayer. And, uh, and, and this is one of the most important areas of our relationship with God but I think it's an area that most Christians take for granted. You know, so therefore we think that, okay, if I got a ministry and they got a prayer team in there and they, we put people's name on the intercessory prayer list, that's one aspect of it. But here he's saying, look, you're going to have to on purpose devote yourself. Devote yourself to prayer. And, and, and if you do that, you got to determine in your mind what does that look like for you. Because all of us may be different but all of us should be praying. Amen. And, and, and I tell you, prayer is almost like fasting. It's one of those things that unless we on purpose do it and set some time apart to do it, it, it just don't happen. You know, and, and, and even though we, you know, do fasting on, uh, on the first Monday after the first Sunday, that is not the only time if the Lord lay it on your heart to fast about something that's going on in your life and to pray that, that ought to be something that your spirit quicken you. And that because your spirit is quickening you to do this, then fasting just means that, you know, right now, um, they just came out of, if you're in, in the Catholic faith, and most faith, Mardi Gras, I think, ended it yesterday, right? And so I think that was on Tuesday. They called it Fat Tuesday. So that means that everybody kind of go out and have a big party, and they just throw down. I mean, last night, some people probably, they're really in bad shape today because they, they throw down because... They do all that because for the next 40 days, they're supposed to consecrate themselves and get ready for Easter. And during this time, 
They done parted it all out last night, but now they're supposed to make a commitment that they're going to give away something or give up something. And this season is called Lent, meaning that, okay, what are you going to give up for Lent? Okay, somebody say, I'm going to give up sweets. I'm going to give up cursing. I'm going to give up this. It's just a mindset that make us be mindful that there are certain things that we have to intentionally do. Now, we shouldn't wait to Mardi Gras to think about 40 days of prayer or 40 days of fasting or 40 days of whatever it is. It ought to be something that the Spirit of God brings to your heart and your mind on a regular basis. That's why he tells them, devote yourselves to prayer. Then he tells them with what? With an alert mind and a thankful heart. Now, you know, that stopped me right there because I know I'm guilty of this. Sometimes we place prayer at the end of the day. You know, either right before we go to bed or say, well, well, well when I lay down, I'm going to just send up a prayer. Like the old folks send up some timber. And before the timber can get out good, you're gone. I mean, just, just something that came over you. Just, just done took a, so, so, so to me, if you're going to be devoted to prayer, you can't give God your worst time. You got to give him your best time. Meaning that the worst time I say, you know, prime time is early in the evening. You know, when you're still early. And then that's late night TV. You know, late night TV, you don't mind going to sleep on those shows. They're late night. But prime time, you're going to try to watch and, and be committed to whatever you watch in prime time. And so what we got to see here is that, look, God deserves prime time. So that he, he deserves that time when you ain't so tired that you ain't got five minutes left in you. I mean, when you crawl in the bed, you know, I'm going to give him a prayer. You know, but, but, but that's not devotion. And so, so when we have this attitude and this devotion to prayer, then if we've been doing that all during the day when the Spirit of the Lord prompts us, then we wouldn't wait till at night to try to get it all in before, you know, we go to sleep. And then now we're giving him our leftover time instead of giving him quality time. It's probably better for us to pray when we first get up in the morning to give him the first fruit of your day, even if it's a little bit of prayer as soon as you get out of bed, just thanking him for allowing you to touch the floor this morning, you know what I mean? In your right mind, with your life, health, and strength. Just little things like that to say, man, I'm thankful for this because that's what he tells us we need to do. Pray with an alert mind and a thankful heart. So right now, if you were to have to pray, the question would be, what are you thankful for? Because it leads me to believe that everybody in here online got something to be thankful for. And right now, it's still early in the afternoon, evening, early evening. Most of y'all still alert. Unless I'm just really boring. You ain't going to go to sleep right now. Unless I just really put y'all to sleep, you ain't going to sleep right now. And if you start nodding off, I'll call your name. You know, if I know your name, I'll, you know. No, I wouldn't do that. But, but, but my point is, our mind is alert right now. And so while your mind is alert, I just want you to spend about 30 seconds thinking about something. Say, if you had to pray right now, what would you be thankful for? Yeah, you can answer. If somebody want to answer, yeah. I mean, just, just whatever the Lord will place on your heart, whatever you be thankful for. Because he said you got to do it with a thankful heart. In all things, we ought to give God thanks. And then by having our mind alert, that means we can be focused on the things that we're carrying before God, not just in and out. 
Every morning I give God thanks for waking me up. I thank him for my health, my children's health. Uh, and, you know, I thank him for my job, the roof over my head. I thank him for, for food. You know, it's so much things to thank God. The first thing I thank him for, though, is for waking me up. Because if I'm not awake, none of the other stuff really matters. Amen. Amen. And, and, and you know, with that, we call, a lot of times we think about those basic things that we take for granted. You know, some of us would never wake up and think, I got to thank God for some food because, you know, you went to bed last night, your refrigerator was full. You know, you got leftovers. You didn't even eat all the stuff that they, you know, they brought you, Uber brought you, whoever bring your food now to your door. You know, we don't cook no more. They just bring it to them, you know, and you ain't eat it all. But can you imagine what it would be like if you was living in a country where you didn't know where your next meal was coming from? Your attitude about prayer would be a whole lot different. Major, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to ask Pastor, uh, sometimes when I talk to people about prayer, they say, um, I don't know how to pray. Would you say that it's a, it's a method or is it just what's on your heart? It's just, is, is, is there, because I think a lot of times people will hear someone else pray and they'll be, you know, there and all, wow. Yeah. It just sounded so spiritual. And then that makes them not not afraid to pray, but just wonder, okay, how, how am I supposed to pray? What what should I say? Well, you know, and, and, and a good thing that sometimes, you know, it, it's okay if you are learned and you've been studying God's word and you can pray his scriptures back to him. That's ideally, but that's growth. That don't happen overnight. I mean, if you can pray the word back to God, things communicate with him in language that he, you know he understands. But just to tell him thank you, you ain't got to be a scholar. I, I mean, just to say thank you, you can say that to anybody. If you would say thank you, if someone did something for you, normal, the normal response would be thank you. So now if God has done something for you, then the normal response is just to give him thanks for what he has done for you. Just that simple. And, and it don't have to be long, it, and, and it don't have to be, you know, worded, but it have to be sincere, you know, because you want to go to God with a sincere heart and really mean it, and that's why your mind got to be alert and your heart got to be thankful. And, and, and again, because we take so much for granted here in America, and not all Americans, because y'all probably know some folks that are struggling right now. You know, y'all may be doing all right, but y'all know some people who who's struggling who don't know where their next meal going to come from or their next check going to come from. And so because of that, those people will see, you know, feel like, hey, I'm depending on God for even more because I don't have. So that person, you feel like that person needs to pray because they don't have this. But then because we do have it sometimes, we take prayer for granted. And so then now we only call on God when we get in trouble or we need something. You know, the, the minute something bad happened to folk, man, they go to the doctor and get a report. The first thing they want to do is pray all day. But the thing is, is that we got to have an attitude about prayer before we go to the doctor. You, gotta, you, gotta, you have to have that relationship because it's easy to go to God in prayer when you're in need of something. But sometimes your prayer ought to be just giving him thanks for something. Brother Jesse? Now, what's called that? What you said just made me think about um, the story read in 
church on Sunday about the woman and how he gave the parable about um, kind of like so both of them had the five. One had the five hundred. One had like the fifty. It kind of made me think about. Um, I'm losing my train of thought. What's it called? But uh, it just made me think about the being thankful and stuff like that and whatnot. Like regardless of anything. Yeah. I'm sorry. You might have come back to me. I'm sorry. You gonna come back? That's okay, man. You're young. It's gonna come back. With me, it'll be gone. But it's coming back for you. It'll be back in a minute. We're gonna say something here. But but so what? But we see here is that hey one. If nothing else, man, just try to be alert when you pray. You know, even now, I, we're guilty. You know, when people are praying for us, I, some of y'all get on the prayer line. Uh, to, it's tonight, prayer night. No, this morning was prayer. Tomorrow night is prayer time. A lot of times, if your heart ain't in that, you'll get on there and five minutes into it. Your line gone and dead, and you, you know, you don't went to sleep halfway through whoever they're praying. They're praying for the sick, the shut-in. and I, So because... We don't go there with that focused mind that say, hey, I'm finna sanctify this time, these 15 minutes, these 30 minutes, and set it apart, and I'm not going to let anything distract me. I'm going to mute the TV. I'm going to get into a mind and an attitude. Even though I'm not praying, I'm just interceding with someone who is. I'm just coming in agreement with them because prayer is something that put us all in in the game no matter where we are in the world. We can pray for any situation in the world right now, even though we may not be where that situation is. And so I think as believers, prayer is one of the things that has been minimized in the church because, again, going back to what was said earlier, people think it's something formal. I tell people, man, you know, I know people get tired of hearing saying, hey, you know, we say the Lord's Prayer, what is considered the Lord's Prayer, really the disciples' prayer. We added that to our opening just for our young people kids, for the kids, because when I was coming up, we was taught that. That was mandatory learning. I mean, you couldn't get out of my granddaddy's house until you know how to say that prayer. And he taught us that prayer earlier. Then we were going to school at that time. We could pray in school. But then when I broke that prayer down and looked at it, it, it's not a formula for you to just pray that all the time. You have to. But it's not bad to cut your teeth on it because it covers all the things that could happen to you in the course of a day. It makes you give thanks to God. It makes you thank him for delivering you from things that's coming in your life, providing for you, you know, and you ask him, hey, God, today I know I could be tempted, but don't lead me into no temptation today. You know, temptation is always out there. So it's not a bad thing to know, and if you don't do nothing, pull parts out of it. Have something, and that's a way of praying the scriptures back to him. But I realize it's not a cookie cutter. But again, when Jesus was teaching that, he was telling him, hey, you don't have to be like the Pharisees either who stand up and make all the noise and want to be seen. Some folks just pray to be heard and their heart ain't in it. They try to pray to impress people and they just go on and on and on and it ain't, there ain't no sincerity there. So when, when, when we look at the Bible, we'll find that there are times when people sent up like Nehemiah before the king he sent what they call a little arrow prayer, a little quick prayer that addressed his needs at that time. And a lot of times, that's what your prayer can be about, saying thank you and addressing if you got any needs at that time. You know, and I teach the kids the little formula for prayer, you know, when, if you're praying. The AC, I call them ACTs of prayer. You know, acts of prayer. A, adoration. Start off by telling God how good he is how magnificent he is, how wonderful he is. 
you know. Don't start off with you. Start off with him. Because that's how the prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy. We make him first. And so we adore him and we give him his adoration. The seed then, after you done told him how much you adore him, blow his head up like that, make him think he all that in some chips, because he is. Then now, you talk about you for a minute. Confession. Because you probably did something wrong today. And if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, he'll reveal it to you. So God, I said something today that I shouldn't have said. I did something I shouldn't have said. Lord, I even lied today. You know, because you close your eyes, the Spirit will bring it back to you. He'll bring your day back. You know, so, so now we give him adoration, then we confess and tell him what we did wrong. Then now we give him thanks. Thank you, God, for whatever it is. And the last, the F stands, I call this our request, but I call it supplication. So we don't start begging to the end. After you done, you know, told him what you did wrong, after you done acknowledged him as being God, after you done gave him thanks for blessing you, then now, God, this is what I need. I, I, really, I really need this from you, God. But so often we go to God with our needs first and don't even give him the respect that he deserves. So what he's saying here is, man, it's a lot wrapped up in this. Lord. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. And then he says this in verse 3, pray for us too. That what God, now he, Paul is in prison when he's saying this along with some of his other believers, that God would give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. Now, you would think that he would say, man, pray that I get out of this place. I am here in chains, but he's saying, man, even while I'm going through in my chains, man, pray to God, give me an opportunity to talk to one of these guards around here. I want to get one of these guards saved. Somebody who's looking over me and keeping me bound up, I want to get one of them saved. And when we read the book of Romans, we found out that there were people in Caesar's house that got saved because Paul, even though he was in jail, was praying for folks and, and ministering the word of God to them. So what we got to see here is that we missed too many opportunities and we walking around free. This man locked up right in the enemy's camp. And some of us go to work every day with the enemy. Got some family member that's straight up Enemies of the kingdom. And if you ain't going to minister to them, you ought to at least be praying for them. Yeah, that's what he says. So he says, now look. So he's saying that God would give us many opportunities to speak about the mysteries, his mysterious plan concerning Christ. In other words, that Jesus was the Savior, the gospel, and the good news that comes with it. And then he says, that is why I am here in chains. I'm not in prison because I'm a Jew. Or, or, or I was a Pharisee. I'm in prison because now all of a sudden I'm believing in Jesus and I'm carrying that message of the gospel about Jesus Christ everywhere I go. And I carry it to some places where people don't want to hear it and I carry it to some of my own people who don't want to receive it and what they do, they come against me and I end up in prison. It wasn't the Romans that wanted to put him in prison. Romans didn't have no problem with Judaism. They let them practice. But what it was, it was other Jews 
that didn't want to accept Christ and that will persecute him just as much as the Romans about the message that he had about Jesus Christ because it went against everything they had been taught about a Messiah coming back. They just never could wrap their mind around Jesus was the Messiah. They, 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 and to this day, a lot of Jews in Judaism still looking for a Messiah. They believe that the Messiah is coming. They just don't believe Jesus was him. So for us, the opposite of that, we think he was, one, he was the one. We believe that because that's the, the truth that we have a, a, a received in our heart. And so that's why we stand on Jesus Christ and him crucified. For our sins, we stand on his death, his burial, his resurrection. All those things is what we stand on. And because we can stand on that nowadays in freedom, this guy was locked up for making that same stand. And there are countries around the world now where people are persecuted just because they are Christians or they stand up for Jesus. So we, live, we are blessed to live in a country where we have opportunities. Now the problem is, is that if you don't ask the Lord to show you opportunities, you walk right, right past opportunities. So, so in your prayer time, sometimes you got to say, Lord, just bring opportunities across my path today. And I guarantee if you start praying that and, and seeking God about it, he will bring people across your path that you can minister to, even without knowing the whole Bible. And I'm going to show you here in a minute when he starts talking about some of the things that we can do. And so he says now, we have an obligation to do that, and we ought to be looking for those opportunities right now, he says. He says, pray, verse 4, pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Now, that let me know that if we're not careful, sometimes the message can be all getting gob you know, gobbled up. So he's saying, look, I want to be clear when I present the case of Jesus Christ. I don't want to confuse anybody. I don't want to manipulate nobody. I don't want to trick nobody. But man, I want to teach this message with clarity so that if I do it with clarity, then people will be able to understand it. And sometimes we go to church and we hear a lot of things said to us, but we don't have no clue of what it means. Of what, is, of what was said. We, we can't relate it to where we are in life. And so therefore, the gospel is not designed now to be such a mystery to you that you can go sit in church and you don't have a clue about Jesus and who he is because everybody ought to know. If you don't know anything else, you ought to know the Easter story. We learned that as a kid. We didn't have the full depth of it and the magnitude of it. You may not be able to handle the resurrection from the dead right now, but you ought to be able to handle the cross. We die for your sins and mine. So therefore, there are certain things that, that we don't need to be scholars to believe and to accept. And then if what we believe, then we ask God, give us the opportunity to share what we believe with somebody else. And a lot of times, all you got to do is see people where they are in life and what they're going through they will reveal to you what you need to minister to them with. Just pay attention to the people around you. Just listen to that conversation when people are sounding hopeless and fearful of everything and all those type of things. That's the time for you to step in. 
and try to calm their fears. If nothing else, you can pray for them and pray with them. You know, and, and that's one thing, even about, even about even sinners, when they, when they find themselves in trouble, they don't mind praying. Amen. And so, therefore, that's, that's an opportunity for us to, 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 to make sure that we, you know, get this message out clearly. And he says, now look, in verse 5, this is why I'm going to ask you a question now, because I want you to think about this from your perspective. In verse 5, he tells them to live wisely. Somebody say live wisely. Among those who are non-believers and make the most of every opportunity. Going back to something said. Now, it's a good possibility that some of y'all and some of us still hang out with folks who may not be believers. Ain't nothing wrong with that. You work with them, go to the gym, maybe on a basketball team with them. No, with people, ain't, ain't, ain't nothing wrong with that. He, he didn't, but the question is, how do you carry yourself when you're with them? So what I need for you to determine and, and to, to clarify for me is what does live wisely among those who are not believers mean to you? How do you do that? In your mind, how do you live wise among people that are non-believers. Now, let me first by clap, make sure I'm clear. All of y'all around and know some non-believers, right? If you do, just raise your hand. I just want you to show your hand. Just let me make sure, because I don't want to talk to somebody who, you know, don't know nobody that's a non-believer. You just hang around church folks all the time, saved folks all the time. But every now and then, you, gotta run, you run across non-believers, because the world is full of, we were there too. So, so now, but if we have to, you know, and... and if you got to go to work, sometimes your job have a, you know, a get-together when someone get promoted and everybody go and they just go out, you know, to the Christmas celebration or whatever they're doing. You're on the squadron softball team, volleyball team. It will be nice if everybody on there was Christians. They may not be. So the question is, how do you live wisely among those who are not believers. Your answer is your answer. This is not one of those things where, let me go find a scripture in the Bible and read it. No, we're just going to read you. The Bible says you're supposed to be a living letter, a living epistle. So when people can't read the Bible, they're supposed to be able to read you. And when they read you, they ought to see something that represents this. They ought to. Now, they, you may be learning. We're still growing. We got to grow into this. You don't get here overnight. But the end game is that you got to get wise in how you live with non-believers. Because if you ain't trying to get wise in how to live with non-believers, then one or two things going to happen. You're going to have to isolate yourself and live on a hill somewhere and stay away from them. Or you're going to find yourself hanging with them and have no influence on them at all. And all the influence they have is on... Y'all ain't got to say man right there. I know I'm telling the truth. Because I'm going to show you here in a minute. I ain't going to get there. I'm going to just... Yeah. So anybody, Martin, I see your hand. Your answer is your answer. I'm not trying to put anybody on the spot, but since we're having a Bible study, I feel like we can have dialogue. I ain't preaching on Sunday. You don't get a chance to ask no question on Sunday. 
But right now, you, we, can, we can have this conversation. I work with the public, so I meet all type of people. But I treat everyone equally with kindness and with respect. And people appreciate when you do that because the, even if them come to me rude, recently a customer tell me and say, I would like some of what you on. You're always smiling. I say, I'm on Jesus. Would you like some of him? Amen. And he bows <laughs> and look at me and laugh, you know. But people always look at your behavior and then decide where you're coming from. They might not know my question, but like you say, even Edens can be nice. But it's all about your representation. I think representation have a lot to do with who you are and who you serve. If somebody come to you rude and you don't go to their level, they look at you differently. Amen. Amen. And, and so anybody else, before I, before I read this again and kind of come, anybody else? Again, this is your testimony. Don't be ashamed. This is you talking about how you, because I'm going to show you on Sunday when Jesus was talking to the, to the, to the, to the, you know, the scribe and the teacher of teaching who asked him a question, he flipped the question and said, you know, how do you interpret what you just asked me? So what I'm telling you is that when we read the Bible, you got to get an interpretation of that in your heart. Because how you interpret that passage is going to determine how you apply it to your life. So if I was asking you, hey, Jesse, the Bible just said, live wisely among those who are not believers. How do you interpret that for you? I didn't mean to put you on the spot, but your name came, just came right up, rolled off my tongue, you know, like that. <laughs> nah, um, I would say, so I know in my office sometimes, and other offices, they make, like, inappropriate jokes sometimes, so just kind of, like, or gossip and stuff like that, or in the office trying to, like, refrain from that, or, like, maybe move to a different area and stuff like that, so maybe they see that I'm not getting involved with the gossip or, like, uh, like the dirty jokes and stuff like that, they'll kind of see, oh, he's not really into that, and they respect you more, and they might want to, like, emulate that and stuff like that, so. And, and I remember those days, too, when I was in the military, man, first got saved, everybody that I was hanging, I was a cop, you know, and the cops, we had bad mouths anyway, you know, we just, most of us did, I guess, you know, we just, we just talked bad. And so when I started changing, yeah, you know, I, I didn't know no better. I used to laugh at off-color jokes because I, I didn't know, you know, can I just be honest right now? See, in Alabama, I never knew nothing but two kinds of folk. Black folk, white folk. That's all that. That's how we felt. You was either black or you white. We didn't know no whole lot of in-between, black or white. So when I get in the military and I hear people talking about Pollock jokes, and I didn't know what no Pollock was, cause, uh, but if he, he was either black or white. So in my mind, I'm laughing at these jokes because I wouldn't say them, but they were funny. But I'm saying to myself after I start living longer, man, if I ain't with them, maybe that's the end joke. And so once I started learning, I said, okay, no longer laughing at something that ain't funny. Because it ain't funny whether they're talking about a Pollock or a Negro or whoever they may be talking about, it ain't funny no more. So at some point in time, I had to make my mind, I'm not going to stop laughing 
at things that people are joking about that ain't really funny, especially when it's about other people. But that didn't happen overnight because, again, you know, we used to tell jokes among ourselves, you know. And, and, and now that I look back at that, I look how sad we were. Most of the time, we made ourselves be the worst person in the joke. We thought so less of ourselves if, it, you know, there was a black man, a white man, and a Jew. And whatever the joke was that was going to be ugly and negative, we always say it's the. Because we didn't think. And so when I got saved and said, okay, now when I'm out amongst those who are not believers, I got to live wisely. So early on, I couldn't just demand this. But they know, hey, he ain't laughing no more. And then as I got bold, hey, man, look here, you know. You don't, you don't talk like that around me. Now, it get tough when the person that uses foul language is the commander. You just have to say, okay, you know, sir, you know, you ain't, ain't going to bust him out in the middle of staff me. Okay, you understand. You're going to pray for him right now. I ain't finna scared him and say, well, sir, I'm offended. No, okay, that's the way he talks. He a heathen. That's what heathens do. So what I need to be doing now is using wisdom and say, I'm going to pray for him. That at some point in time, the Lord is going to give me an opportunity to even speak to him, or he's going to have an unction to say, hey, there's a way that I can talk to people without having to curse them out or curse about the situation. And so that's why I ask you the question is that if you're going to live wisely among those who are not believers, how do you interpret that? How do you interpret that? Finley, let me use you. you. You're a good example. Every time I see you, you always give me a prime example. And I ain't even going to talk about it. But I remember, like you, I was part of an organization at one time. Fraternal organization. Jesse, you're, you're a frat brother, right? Okay, I was a mason at the time, but I, I think, okay, you're a frat brother. Okay, got it. I guarantee you, all your frats don't love Jesus. They might. But I don't think that's a criteria to be one. You can be one without loving you. I found out when I was becoming a Mason, I thought I had to be a Christian to be a Mason because most of the men that I was in with were Christian. But when I got deeper into it, I found out that all I had to do was believe in a higher being, a higher source, an all-seeing eye. It didn't have to be Jesus. It could just, as long as I said I believe that. Okay, I got it. Most of the guys that I was in was Christians. So it didn't make that much difference. But what happened was when we left the lodge, after we went through all our rituals and our formalities, all the square and the compass on that and how we love our brothers and all that, I mean, we said all them pretty words to each other. We get to the club and act like fools. And when I was a baby Christian, I was just right there with them because I was still clubbing like that. So with no distinction. But then when I started growing and studying this Bible, I said, man, look here. Hey, man, I'm going home to my wife tonight. I ain't going with y'all. I got a wife and baby at home, and I'm out here hanging with y'all, and we supposed to all be large brothers, telling each other, we just got through talking about Jesus, the junior warden that's sitting in the south, and the glory of God. Oh, man, come on. We, we were just talking, but we weren't living now. And so, what I'm saying is, is that as I grew, my, the way I carried myself around them changed. 
Now, as long as I was in the States, I enjoyed it because in the States, we did at least do some good service work. We did the Christmas thing. We did all the things. When I got overseas, they were just wild over there. They weren't about doing nothing good. It was just walking around with your light on, flashing signs, assembling and all that, showboating, and ain't doing nothing for the community, ain't doing nothing to help nobody. All those nice things that we said we were supposed to be doing, we weren't doing. We just partied. So that's what turned me. And I don't hate on nobody who in there. You got you to do you. I ain't got no problem with that. But for me, then I realized that, hey, I can't hang with that all the time and get closer to Jesus at the same time. That's the decision that I made. I could still go back down and say, man, I want my, I want my degrees back. You know, all I got to do is pay some catch-up dues. But once I found that a lot of the things I was doing in there, I could do in the church and with the Lord, say, okay, I made a decision that, hey, I'm just going to walk away from that. Not because there weren't good people. I still got some good friends now that we communicate. But I just made a decision for me that I, I just couldn't hang out like that at large meetings on Friday night and just get towed down with the fellow no more. Because I'm saying, hey, look here, I'm finna stop drinking. So I can't say I'm going to stop drinking. And then every time I'm around, I'm hanging with drinkers. It's going to be hard. So I had to make some hard decisions. That's what I'm telling this pastor is saying. How do you live wisely among non-believers? He didn't say stop hanging, not being around them. But if you're among them, you got to live wisely. Anybody else? Yes. So, Stan, go ahead. I'm sorry. You know, the way I see how I live wisely, like, when I go home and I'm invited to events and stuff, you know, like, um, with some of the people's classmates that I used to be with, okay, uh, when I used to go to them, you know, I knew right from wrong, but I wasn't saved and I did wrong because I wanted to. So now, you know, when I go there, I know right from wrong. I know what I've been taught. And if they drink, you know, and I don't drink, I don't condemn them from drinking. You Amen. know, what? and they do dances. I don't condemn them from doing those dances because Amen, I was there. Amen. And then they'll ask me, say, girl, you used to be the life of the party. What happened to you? Then they give me an opportunity to give them my testimony. You know, how I stopped doing that. And I like to make them wonder about me, wonder what happened to me. Amen. So that's, you know, that's how I'll be around them. I don't have to do what they do as I used to because now I know better. I know the consequence if I do do them. So, but anyway, I don't condemn them. Amen. And, and the point is that, you know, God left us in the world for a reason. We are supposed to be light and salt. You know, and so if I'm in an organization and I don't bring no light to it, then that means I turn my light off when I go in. And if I don't change the atmosphere and the flavor of what goes on in there, that means the people don't see me like I think they ought to see me as a child of God. Because salt is supposed to season things and change the flavor in things. So when Jesus tells us that we're the light of the world and the salt of the earth, and he says that for a reason. Now, you can't put salt in a glass of water and it still taste the same. And so 
you're in whatever you're doing. You're in that organization. You're in that group for a... God got you there to be an example and to live wisely in that group. And as you live wiser, they ought to see something in you that make them want to ask the question. Jesus hung with publicans. So I'm, I'm telling you, but the thing is, you got to interpret, and I, I'm, I'm harping on this because the Bible says you got to figure out how do you live wisely among, among non-believers. Because the opposite of that, if you don't live wisely, you know, God is kind of by, you know, binary. If you ain't going to live wisely, you're going to live like a fool. Okay, I'm sorry. I was just going to echo what the minister said earlier about going home to, to family. About a week ago, I go down to New Orleans, you know, pre-Mardi Gras. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the family, I mean, they lighten it up. I mean, big cookout. I mean, they got them turkey necks, ham hocks, you know, the corn on the cob, potatoes, all of this in the big pot. Along with that, you got your, your wine, your liquor. And then over there on the table, you know, they got it laid out. They're getting ready to roll it up. <laughs> I'm talking about this out there. And then at the same time, you know, we playing space, dominoes, and now they're really lit, making noise, you know, talking. So I'm enjoying myself playing space because, you know, that's what we do when we get together. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, they passing things around. No, I'm, you know, I'm good. They passing, I mean, all night. They passing around, hey, I'm good. To the point, say, man, I told you I'm good. <laughs> I don't do that. Man, but then it's, hey, I remember when, before you went into the military, that you, but I said, I don't do that. I'm good. Amen. You know, so it's just that they continue to come around, but I just say, hey, man, I'm good. Yeah. You know, so, but then the thing is, it don't deter me from hanging out with my family. Because I know that's what they're going to do. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. And, and, and that's why we got to see those as opportunities. He said, you know, live wisely among those who are not believers. And make the most of every opportunity. They didn't say come out from amongst them and never, you know, go amongst them again. He just said you got to know how to live wisely around and among. And, 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 and you can do that if you allow the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you. I mean, we, we all come to God with a resume. We all come from something. And, but I believe that we all give up something, too when we come to the Lord. When we really get serious about him and want to grow and mature into the things of Christ, we, we can't do everything the same way we was doing it before we came into a relationship with him and then think that he's not going to ask something, some type of change to come in our life. That's what being transformed means by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the... If, if your mind don't change, it don't make no difference if you come to church or not. Change take place in your mind. So until your mind changes about how you see the scripture, how you see things, how you interpret God's word and how you apply it into your life, until your mind changes, you ain't going to change. So that's why the Bible says got, we got to renew this mind. We got to be, and we got to allow the spirit of God to speak to us and to reveal things to us and let the word of God do likewise. Because as I'm reading this tonight, you got to think, hey man, that's God's word. 
God is trying to speak to me through his word. And I'm sitting here for a reason. I'm online for a reason. What does God want me to get out of this? You're not just here by accident. I look at everything and God got a reason for you being here. And see, sometimes when you come to a session like this, I tell people, come with an open mind and, and come to listen, to understand, and not argue with God. You may not agree with the word, but just say, okay, that's God talking. I, I ain't feeling you right now, God, but I ain't finna argue with you and to justify what I want to keep doing. You know, I can just say, let's. Sometime in the Bible, Major God said, can we just sit down and reason together? Can we just have a conversation about where you are in life, how long you've been on this walk and this journey? Where do you want to go next in the Lord? Oh, look at this. Let me move on. I, know, I didn't mean to stay that long, but anybody, anybody got a question? Let me know. He said, look, he's talking about conversation. He said, let your conversation be gracious and attractive. Now, that's going back to what you're saying, Brother Greg. Even though I may be around some people sometime, then my conversation still got to be with grace. Season with salt, that's what he said. That means I got to measure my words. I am not there to condemn everybody and tell them they're going to hell. That is not the reason for me being at the strip ball. I'm now to enjoy my family and have some fun with them, you know what I mean? But I don't have to do everything they do, but I don't have to say, man, if you hit that one more time, you hell by, <laughs> I mean, you're going to bust hell wide, old man. You're going to, man, if you hit that thing one more time like that, you're going to, no. You ain't going to, your words are not seasoned. Because now they're going to turn you off and say, man, look, you don't even need to be here. You're killing the party. So he said, now look, when you do this, let your conversation be gracious and attractive. You want to speak in a way as much as you can to attract people to the Lord, not push them away from it. It don't mean you don't say what is sin is sin, but you don't have to tell somebody that they're a sinner all the time. Most folk know when they're wrong. You just need to live right before them. And then when you get an opportunity, you need to try to help them through the things that they're doing wrong. Help them to see a better way. And a lot of times, if you will pay attention to what people are going through, where they are in life, they will tell you where they can use your help at. If you just pay attention, just listen to it, listen to that conversation, you can hear people who are hopeless, going through, struggling, don't know how they're going to make it, you can just hear it by the words of their mouth. And when you hear those words, your spirit ought to be quick and to say, hey, I got something that I can share with them because they're not, what they're going through is not new. Somebody else done been through it. So we got to seize opportunities, but we do that when we are attractive with our speech. He says, so that you would have the right response, Greg, the right response, for everyone. In the right response, that kid, hey man, look, I don't want that. Pass it on by. You know, I don't do that no more. Does it matter who brings the message or the message itself? The message is more imp important than the messenger. Well, that's the reason why I asked it, because I sent a message to, one, to my, my daughter, the oldest one. 
And she said, well, I don't listen to this man. I said, well, I think that message is very powerful. You know, you should take from the message. And she's like, I don't listen to him because he don't live according to what the word of God say. And I said, well, you know who to judge him. You should take the word. And I said, I didn't send a man for you. I sent the word to you. So learn to chew the meat and spit the bones. And, and, and that's easy to say, Myrna, and, and, and I've said that before, but as I live longer, the world is very observant of us. And when they see us say one thing and do another, they are not open to receiving our message, even though it's a good message. What they see is, man, you ain't nothing but a hypocrite. You ain't living now. How you going to come to me talking like that? So therefore, our message got to be our lifestyle. We got to try to, you know, like on the streets, you got to have street cred. I mean, you just can't haul off and go out there and you ain't got no credibility. So it's the same way. So if you're going to go and try to correct somebody and, and live, uh, say something to somebody, a lot of times, you know, you need to have credibility. But ideally, Jesus told his disciples, hey, the Pharisees, man, they tell you all the right thing to do. So he did tell them, listen to them and learn from them. But don't watch them. We watch people. We can see too much. I think we'll be better if we came to church with blindfolds on and then walked around and didn't have to see folk because the word may be good, but the messenger may be flawed. Get a mic, Major. In someone's mind that didn't know that, though, they would think that the word isn't working because they would say, okay, well, you're telling me this, but you live in contrary to the exact words that you're saying. So is the word working? Because you're not even living it. You're telling me, hey, this is what I need to do. Show up here. Do this. Do this. Do this. And you'll be blessed. And then you look at them going, okay, but you, you're telling me something that's contrary to how you're living. So is the word working? And if the word is working, then I should see something in you that will make me want to listen to you. You know, and, and that's a good point. That's, I think that's a, that's a real good, good point. But what we have to remember is that it's up to us to apply the word. I mean, I have to apply this word to all. You got to apply the word to your life. And just because someone is not applying something don't mean that they can't speak a truth to you. You know, no different than our parents when they coming up and say, when you get grown, don't you do this. They're trying to tell you right, but while they're telling you that, they're still drinking. But they're telling you, don't do this. If you, if you do this, this is what's going to happen to you. Don't smoke. Don't smoke. Whatever you do, don't, don't be like your dad. Don't, don't smoke. And they're telling you, you can't say, oh, man, you ain't got no credibility to tell me that. Well, they're they still trying to tell you right, even though they may not be doing right themselves. So there are some men and women who preach this word. They give a good word, but that's why Jesus said, when they come off the stage, don't watch their lifestyle. I tell, I tell, like my mother, I told her, I said, look, salvation is personal. If you sit around and watch people that go to church and what they do, how they live their life, you would never be saved because you don't want to go to church because you're watching what everybody else is doing. They say you have to go there and you have to do the right thing. The thing that you th think is good, that's what you do because they can't save you. And nothing that they do will make a difference in your life until you make it for yourself. Amen. Salvation is personal. Amen. 
And, and that's what that relationship is about with Jesus. I mean, everybody got to walk that walk for themselves. But the thing is, we often walk it looking at others. And so we judge ourselves or we measure ourselves based upon what we see others do. But the world used us to say, I don't need to go to church because I know what major do, and church ain't working for him, so why should I go to church? Not realizing that, hey, you ain't coming to church for major. You come to church so you can figure out what God can do and how he can change your life. And, and so that's why the Bible do admonish us to try to be a living epistle. Be that living letter so that when people don't know the Bible, they can read you. And so now look at this. Let me go on because get to this final instruction. A lot of these are names. Those of you who have been with us for a while, you're going to probably, I'm going to refresh, uh, 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 kind of hit the, where these people come into Paul's life at, and some of them are going to make a lot of sense to you, some of them, you know, names are only mentioned a couple of times. So now he gives his final greeting. He says, uh, Tychicus, verse 7, will give you a full report of how I am getting along. He is a beloved brother, faithful helper, who serves me in the Lord, in the Lord's work. So this is a guy that carried this message, and, and he often accompanied Paul uh, throughout his missionary journeys. And one of the journeys that, if you look in the book of Philippians, place like that, when Paul was taking the offerings back to the churches in Jerusalem, where uh, they were very poor churches, but they had been taking up offerings in these regions here of Macedonia, this was one of the guys that went with him to secure that offering and carry it back. So he was like a co-laborer with Paul, and he was a beloved brother and a faithful helper who serves with me in the Lord's work. The work that we do belong to the Lord. Our job is to be faithful servants in what he's called us to do. Whatever he has called you to do, be it to stand on the door, teach a child, pray, minister from the pulpit, or whatever God has called you to do. I made this clear. All of you have been given gifts and talents that God has blessed you with. And in return, he expects you to be using those gifts and talents for his glory. Being in church is not a spectator sport. You, you don't want to be the guy who never get off the bench. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Pastor, I was just going to say, um, along with the message versus the messenger, you have to um, remind yourself to put your faith in God, not put your faith in people. Amen. Man will let you down. And, and, and that's a good point. That's an excellent point. And so when we come to church and our focus is, hey, I'm here. Again, if, the, if a bad preacher read the Bible, then you ought to take what he read from the Bible and leave the pontification alone. Because I can expound on any scripture. But there are certain things I'm going to read before I expound. And y'all going to have to sort through and say, oh, he's just expounding now. He's just trying to make it plain or make it relevant to where we are. But I don't read the scripture, so you got to take and interpret what your heart has received from the word of God. And so sometimes it's okay for me to say, hey, this word means this in the Hebrew and the Greek and all that. But I don't try to impress folk with what I know about Hebrew and Greek. Because you ain't going to remember that when you leave here. So I believe that the message ought to be simple so people can understand what you're talking about. And so in doing that, he says, now this guy is a, is a faithful servant. He's a faithful helper. Ministry is a team sport. 
It's a team sport. That's why the Bible referred to the church as a team, as a family, as a body. It never referred to the church as an individual because it's saying, that, hey, it's many parts that make up one body. And in this body, everybody's not heads, everybody's not eyes, ears. Some people are toes, hands, some people behind the scene, some people out front. But everybody got a role to pay, play because every joint supplies something. And when you hit your baby toe, it don't care that it's the littlest part of your body, maybe. Your whole body feel that pain. And so that's what it is in church. When, when we're in church, we're all part of a body, and so therefore we got to feel like, what part do I play in this body? Because God got me in it for a reason. I'm not here to just be a spectator and watch everybody else. I'm here to say, God, you blessed me with this gift of talent, and I want to use them for your glory. So he says he was a faithful servant. Then he called about, called about in verse 10, Aristarchus. You know, he accompanied Paul on his third missionary journey, uh, when the riots took out up in Ephesus. That's in Acts chapter 19. But he says, Aristarchus, who is in prison with me. So these guys were with Paul going through by himself, even though he's writing the letter. He sends you his greeting, and so does Mark, Barnabas' cousin. Well, that's John Mark. Now, if you remember Acts, Paul and Mark fell out. Because John Mark got sick on the first missionary journey, and Paul think he didn't have a heart for it, and he split up with him. And the next time, he went without. That's when Silas came on, and Barnabas took his cousin Mark. But it looks like even now, they have made up with each other. Look at Paul and made up with him. He says, Mark is with me now, even though we had our issue. So in ministry, sometimes you ain't going to always agree. But we serve the same God. We serve the same Lord. And so, therefore, we ought to be able to figure out what we have in common and what we can do working together to bless others, even though we have disagreements. He says, as you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Then he says, Jesus, but he says, this verse 11, Jesus, which is, that is the one called Justice, also sent his greeting. Now, sometimes when people see that, but we use language like that uh, in the way we address people. You know, it took me a long time to figure out when you call somebody Bob, their name may be Robert. And Jesse is a name that can be used both ways, depending on how the I on the end or just E at the end. But saying it, they sound the same. And so there are a lot of things that we say, I didn't know that James and Jim could be the same person, depending on who's talking. And what? Uh, uh, I learned this because they put in music about the president, you know. I didn't know, you know, Richard was, you know, tricky. <laughs> y'all too young. Some of y'all too young. But, but I didn't know that was another way of saying dick, you know. Richard. Yeah. But that, that, no, that's it. That's, that's short. And so what he said here, he said, now look, even though some people may call him Jesus, but he's also called Justice. He also sent his greeting. These are the only Jewish believers among my co-workers. 
In other words, Paul did not have many Jews with him because his message was primarily to the Gentiles, and a lot of the Jewish believers rejected him, did, did not want to be with him. So at this time, when he was doing his heavy work amongst the Gentiles, he wasn't traveling with a lot of Jews. So he says now, they are working with me here in the kingdom of God, and what a comfort they have been. In other words, I'm in prison. Then he says, Epaphras, verse 12, a member of your own fellowship and a servant of Christ. In other words, he was from their hometown. He was from where they were. He sent his greetings. He also prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong. Now we're going to talk, stop right here just for a minute. He said, now this guy's praying for y'all because this church is going through some things to make you strong and perfect. Now look at this. That's what we come to Bible study for, and that's why we pray so that we can become strong in the faith. When we come to God, you come with weak faith. Some people got little faith. Jesus said, oh, my, some of his disciples say, oh, ye of little faith. And they say, Lord, help us to increase our faith. What do we do? And so therefore, as you grow strong and you trust God more, your faith is strengthened. And if you get stronger in it, and then you can get to that point where you got strong faith. But everybody don't start off with strong faith. So he says, he praying that God make you strong and perfect. Well, what does that word perfect mean, you think? What do you think it means? Yeah, perfect is not talking about you're going to live without error. It's talking about, hey, perfect in the Bible is talking about growing up, being mature and complete. So if he prayed that as a pastor, I should be praying that because I don't want you to stay a baby Christian all your life. Anything that is healthy is supposed to grow. So therefore, if you're nourishing your spirit, man, you ought to be growing spiritually. And as you grow spiritually, then you will know how to live amongst none believers. Because that's a sign of growth. You know, the first time when I got saved, I didn't really want to go back around none believers because when I really got truly, truly. Now, when I was playing both sides, it didn't matter. I was going to church, hanging out, going to church, hanging out. But one day when I really got gun-ho. I was in the wrong type of church when I really got gun-ho. It was a good church, don't get me wrong, but wrong because they were very dogmatic, so they taught me all the don'ts of the Bible. I was in Church of God of Christ, and we couldn't do nothing. I mean, if you looked at TV, it was the devil's box. Everything, the devil was in it. So I'm thinking, that, okay, man, I, I can't watch TV no more. If you're a lady, you can't get your hair pressed no more. You can't wear this. You can't, your dress has got to come down to here, and they just said, don't do nothing. Hey, man, so we go and hang out with each other. We all sit there like we were just so righteous. In Spain, where sangria flowing left and right, knowing we wanted something, but we all sitting there, miserable, acting like we didn't drink sangria no more. And then we got out of there and went home. We had the sangria waiting on. And so in that setting, we all played the part because we all thought the same way. Hey, ladies, you better not come off from here with no pants on and not too much makeup and none of that stuff. So nowadays, I mean, I, I, I would like to go back to some of those churches and see how they have changed since, you know, glam is a part of life now. Amen. And, and I don't think they done got left out of glam, but in that day, 
Glam wasn't in. I mean, you couldn't wear all that, man. That, 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 no, that's the devil. And so when you don't know no better, you believe what people are telling you. So therefore, you become anti-everything and more negative. And now you can't, your words can't be seasoned with salt. Because now you don't know how to go around people that are not believers because you think that all I got to do is hang with non-believers. With believers, I'm sorry. So he says now, but we got to grow up and become complete. And then he says, fully confident that you are following the whole will of God. And that's the individual thing. You got to get to the point where you are confident that you're doing what God wants you to do. And once you get to the point where you're confident that you're doing what God wants you to do, people can't sway you back and forth. You won't be tossed by every little thing that come along. You will know beyond a shadow of a doubt. This is what God called me to do. This is where I'm supposed to be at this point in my life. And I'm not begging myself against my friend, my mom, my dad, the pastor, anybody else. I know this is what God wants me to be in this stage of my growth. And when you can do that and be confident, then you'll know that you're going to fulfill the will of God. God's will is in his word. But if we know one part of it. He desires all of us to be saved. But we know that some people won't. But he desires us to live holy too. It's his will that you live holy. And that process is a lifelong process, but we can't take it out of his will. God, help me out right here. I'm gone now. Let me move on. He says, verse 13, I can assure you that he, this prayer thing keeps coming up this whole chapter. I can assure you that he prays hard for you and also for the believers in Laodicea and Hierapolis. So in other words, these believers that were going through during this time, they believed in praying for one another, which we should also be doing too. Then he says, Luke. This is how we know that Luke was a physician. This is why I tell people that, you know, Jesus ain't no hater of doctors. He had a doctor on his staff. So he says, Luke, the beloved doctor who wrote the book of Luke and also the book of Acts sends his greeting as does Demas. Now when you look up Demas, ain't got time to go there, but look, Demas was all right right here. But when you read 2 Timothy chapter 4, when Paul was going through, he said, man, look here. Demons done left me, man. Man, I'm going through and struggling. Demons done left me. That dude done defected. Demons done, done went back to the world. Demons gone, man. And I, look here. This Wednesday night, I'm taking a memory shot right here now. I'm going to get all y'all pictures of my Finley. I'm getting all y'all right now. I don't want to look around here three months from now and say, man, what Finley? Finley done defected, Pastor. He gone. <laughs> he gone back to the world, man. You up there preaching your heart out about the year good steward feeling. Gone. He done defected. I'm just using an example because I know you way around and you grew rooted. You brought up in the church. But, but in reality, there are Christians defecting every day. Every day. People walking away from the faith. And some of the people we know and we have an opportunity to at least try to share something with them before someone else say some things to them to make them start to doubt and they stop feel, being fully confident who they are in the Lord. So he said, at this time, Demons was a good guy. He was still in the camp. He said, now, please give my greeting to our brothers and sisters at Laodicea, Laodicea and Nifah. Uh, now, 
this name right here caused some problems. Because in some Bibles, it says this is a her, in the one I'm reading, and half of the other half of the Bible say it's a he. And then those who are caught in the middle say their house instead of her house or his house. I'm just going to read what it says here. At the, the, the church that meets in her house. Now, it wouldn't be surprising if she was a her because, you know, Lydia had a church meeting at the, at the side of the river. So in this time, meeting in houses and in caves was common. It wasn't until about the third century that they started building, building. The churches had land that they can build, building. So right now, house churches were the way to go. And so he says that whatever that church is, say, give them their, the greeting to the church that meets in her house. He says, now look, verse 16 says, after you have read this letter, he closed it now, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so they can read it too. When you learn something in God's word, it ain't for you. When you get a revelation or when something speaks to your heart, you are to pass it on. That's how the gospel gets spread, when you start passing it on. He says, so pass it on to the church of Laodicea so that they can read it too. And you should read the letter that I wrote them. Now, there is no book called the book of Laodicea. So if he wrote them a letter, it didn't make the Bible, okay? It was a personal letter that didn't make the Bible. Speculations say it could have been the same letter that he sent to, to the Ephesians. But nobody really know, but obviously he wrote a letter. But everything that was written during this time did not make the Bible when they, what they call canonized the Bible by putting certain books to, in the Bible based upon scholars saying, we think this is a good book. How many of you ever been part of the Catholic Church? Anybody grew up in the Catholic Church? The Catholics have a Bible that got several more books in their Bible that we don't have in ours. Okay, in the normal Bible that we use. But they got other books that got put into their Bible. And some of those books read like Proverbs. Some of them read like letters uh, that, you, that was written by to Timothy and all that. But again, they didn't make the Bible. We just got the 66 books. But there are other books out there that were written. So obviously there was letters that was written that did not get put in the Bible or were not found. We don't know. He says, and then verse 17, he said, and say to a chippers, a chippers, he says, say to him now, be strong, be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. Apparently, you know, he wanted to encourage the chippers because you know, that, you know, major as we get ready to close, it can be some of chippers and strivers that need to be encouraged to complete the work that God gave them. Don't shrink back on what God told you to do. He said, you got to be encouraged to tell a chipper, man, he got, to, he got to keep going to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. All of you have been given something. And every now and then, I need to just encourage you. Don't shrink back. Don't sit on it. You need to carry it out. That's what you need to do. And you need to hear the Spirit speak to your heart. And you say, God, if you told me to do it, you're going to equip me, and I'm going to be obedient to what you're telling me to do. Amen. And trust him for the outcome. 
If he call you, I believe he will equip you. He will give you what you need to accomplish what he assigned for you to do. Amen? Amen. He says, now do. And then he ends the letter there, here. Here is my greeting in my own handwriting. In other words, to authenticate this letter, he kind of closed it out because a lot of time Paul had scribes or personal writers who took dictation from him. And so now he says to close this letter out, I want to do it in my own handwriting and then remember my chains and then may God's grace be with you. So he prayed for them to remember his chains, but then he said, God, have favor on them. And this is a guy who was in prison and you thought he would be talking more about himself and his condition, but even in the midst of being in prison, he was concerned about others. And sometimes when you're going through in life, the best remedy and the best help is to take your mind off of you and start thinking on someone else who may be worse off than you or someone who you can help even in the midst of you going through. Because the worst thing you can do is have a situation in your life and all you do is sit down and dwell on it because your mind will become your greatest enemy. If you don't, if you don't get that mind off of whatever that thing is, it will put you in a place that you don't want to go. And so I just encourage you, ask the Lord to continue to lead you and guide you, and I hope that you all will grow, continue to grow to the fullness of, and the stature of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right, that concludes that book. I hope you got something out of it. Again, go back, short book. You can read over it again and, and, and uh, 